welcome back to the second episode of the Health Unfiltered podcast. My name is Brooke West, and I am joined by my amazing co-host, Ro and Nicole. Hello. I still can't see you, Nicole, so I'm just like talking into the void, and I miss your face. I can see you. I can see you. It's okay. Still very beautiful person. It's all good. Um... So we talked a little bit earlier, but uh, Brooke, what are you drinking tonight? I whipped out my cocktail shaker and I made a spicy marg with my Ancho Reyes Poblano pepper liqueur. Ooh, no big deal. Wow. That uh, actually sounds very I know. good. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Nicole? I'm drinking some Pinot Noir. Classic. Some red wine. Just Love it. From where? Because I really know nothing about wine. Nothing fancy. I think I was just like at Kroger and was like, I need this. <laughs> like it's just one of those days and weeks. You're what about a storyteller? And is called Storyteller. Oh, okay. I, I thought I heard you say like, when I drink this, I become a storyteller. I was like, that's great. I can't can't wait to hear. Uh, for myself, I have Marbles Desert Fog. It's a hazy India pale ale. Um, and I think it's one of my favorites from there. But there's a lot of people I know that don't like marble around here, but it's like one of the biggest breweries. So I really like hazy IPAs. Yeah, they're different. I, I think I like them more than like other ipas because like the the hoppy taste sometimes is like one of those things that i can't really stand but other times i'm all for it so it's just a mood thing i guess nice so today we're talking about pre-workout and post-workout nutrition movement patterns warm-up cool down whatever you want to call it as the exercise expert. <laughs> yeah, just, I mean, I think it all boils down to the most optimal way to uh, m like work out or train efficiently. And I think that that's, that includes nutrition um, and warming up and cooling down as well, for sure. Yeah, I think we have a, a tendency to believe that the only thing that matters is that we have like a perfectly programmed workout and we forget that especially the older i get this is increasingly aware that if i don't warm up properly or cool down properly it's a disaster and it doesn't really matter what happens in between then so i definitely think there's a lot for people to learn from this episode and uh, nicole and i are going to cover a lot of the nutrition considerations before and after activity this goes for, you know, if you're working out, if you're going on a really long hike with your friends, if you have some type of athletic or sporting event, it's really important to consider the fuel you're putting in around your workouts. Yeah. So I'm super excited. And then also to like piggyback off of that, um, warming up and cooling down is also like sport specific or activity specific. So yeah, there's like general recommendations we can give, but it's going to be different if you're sprinting that day or if you are going for a long hike um so it'll be interesting to talk about kind of the differences between you know when you should or shouldn't foam roll and things like that so i'm excited i have a lot of questions i have a lot of questions for you so <laughs> same so. <laughs> i'm ready for you to enlighten us where are we starting today where do we want to start um let's maybe like uh the night or 
the night before or like morning before um, you decide to do like a, a, a workout, like what's a general eating or nutrition perspective um, regarding that? Okay. So talking like pre-workout nutrition, the, I mean, you always want to be consistently fueling whatever is best for you based on all the different considerations that make you a human and your goals that you have in mind. And so I think the consistency is the really big thing there. When it comes to pre-workout nutrition, I generally put that in the window of one to three hours before a workout. What are you doing to fuel and prepare your body? And even though I've given that window, there's obviously a ton of different ways to do it. And the best thing you can do to prep yourself, let's say like the night before activity, is eat, be eating really balanced meals. That means all of your macronutrients are represented at that meal. You want protein, you want fat, you want carbs, you want fiber. Always make sure you're hydrating. I think that's one of the most overlooked things when it comes to pre-workout fuel, that water matters. Mm. <laughs> and it matters. It matters a lot. I drink about <laughs> two cups a day, so it's really good. No, are you joking? Uh, I'm Please like, tell me I'm like sarcasm. somewhat joking. You can ask Casey. My my water drinking has been horrible, especially moving into like quarantine. I never realized how much I drank water to like get out of talking with people. I'm like, oh, I gotta, I gotta go and do something, and just like sit by the water fountain and drink water, uh, or like going to and from class. Me like, oh, now's a good time. But since I just like work at home all day. I'll have maybe a cup in the morning and then I don't really drink while I work out. Uh, and then, yeah, maybe like two glasses throughout the night. So uh, I that like pint glasses at least. No, I mean like like 12 fluid ounce glasses, like a normal glass. Oh, robo. We got to work I know, on this. I know it's bad. Like you and you and everyone else can yell at me. It's it's fine. <laughs> so a general rule of thumb is that you want two to three cups of water, but two to three cups of water, two to three hours before activity. Two to three cups? Yeah, which so that's like 16 ounces, right? Like there's eight ounces in a cup. So like you need to be drinking a pint glass. Interesting. Good to know. <laughs> that's just a very general rule. Gotcha, rec. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> very general <laughs> rec. Um, but okay, so... As someone who definitely doesn't have good drinking patterns, why is water so important? I mean, like other than, oh, yeah, like you need it to live. But like specifically in regards to performance, why do we need water? Your performance decreases a huge amount. And I can't remember the statistic now off the top of my head when you're not hydrated. Because think about how much you need water for as far as like metabolic processes and even like the exer exercise science side of things. You absolutely need water. And yeah, <laughs> I don't, I mean, I wish I remembered that number and I totally just lost my train of thought and I barely had two sips of tequila, but water is important people. And let's remember this. But tequila is more important. Uh, <laughs> but like N Nicole, I know you do the, the hot box and, and the, um, it's like circuit training, I think mostly. Like, I, how much water do you drink? And then can you tell when you haven't had enough water, especially because it's like a circuit and more like endurance focus? Yeah. Um, 
I mean, I really only do the hot box classes once, maybe max twice a week. And then I do the lifting and strength classes the other like three or four times because it really does take just so much out of you. And if I haven't had enough water that day, like I know it. And when you go in, you're just, it's just like, it's so much harder to focus. Like you can tell that you're just like not as strong. You're not as like your endurance just isn't as high. And then after the workout, because if I went into that workout already dehydrated, which I think if you're like the moment that you realize like, Oh, I'm thirsty. Like you're already some percentage dehydrated already. Um, so yeah, if I go into that workout already dehydrated and then sweat just like profusely for 45 minutes because it's in like a 80 degree room, um, then I can just tell like the rest of my day, like I just have no energy and just can't focus. And I am just like wiped. You kind of feel like you're hungover is like how I would describe it. If you haven't hydrated well and It's definitely, like Nicole said, you have to prepare ahead of time. And afterwards, sometimes when I do things like hot yoga, I rehydrate with something like coconut water and I put a little bit of salt in there to get those electrolytes back. And that helps kind of replenish that dehydration a lot quicker. And for people that are more serious level athletes, like I'm not not saying you need to do this if you're going to go just do a normal workout, but it is helpful to weigh yourself for some sports before and after, and you can measure that sweat loss. And then a a general guideline is per pound of body fat or body weight lost. I wish it was body fat. Per pound of body weight lost during that workout, you want to replenish with 16 to 24 ounces of water. So, you know, that's a, that's a good bit. You get water from food, obviously, but most of that you're going to have to rehydrate and drink. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I mean, so what what if someone comes up to you and says like consistently my um my pee is like a healthy color. Um it's not like super uh yellow, it's not clear, so it's like that that good um I I don't know the the color to call it like not apple juice cuz it's not I'll give it to you. All right. You remember the color of Natty Light? The color of Natty Light? Yeah. Yeah, the of beer. Course. Okay, that's what your pee should look like. <laughs> okay, all right. So as someone who this likes light straw color. <laughs> gotcha. Okay, now I'm gonna be like, mm, that looks like a hazy IPA to me. Uh, no hazy IPA. Is yeah, that's bad. horrible. Porter yeah, yeah. really my... bad. <laughs> Seek medical attention if my, it's a porter. <laughs> if it's a milk stout, go to the hospital. Um, yeah. So, but as someone who says like, hey, uh, my pee is like consistently um a good a good color it's consistently natty light uh like uh, should i should i really be drinking more um or should i be listening to what i've always been taught is like my body's way of telling me that i am hydrated enough yeah i think the best easiest feedback is absolutely looking at your urine and that urine test and everyone is different and these are always just general guidelines i feel like i say that all the time but it's like in health it just depends you know Uh, But generally for active, healthy adults, two to three liters of water a day is enough because you do get water from your fruits, your veggies, uh, especially if you're consuming foods like soups and things. You also, even if you love coffee, you are getting water from the coffee. 
So you get liquids in other ways and two to three liters a day is a good good guide. And I just really always recommend that no matter who you are and if you're hydrated or not, you carry some kind of bottle with you all the time to just have there because if it's on your desk during the day, you're more likely to drink it as a habit and not when like, oh, I'm really thirsty. Look, see, there you go. It's like, oh, I'm super, super thirsty. I should have got a pint glass. Like if it's just there, it's better and you're going to have better drinking habits. So I have like this glass ball jar. It's like a 24 ounce and I just put a cool like lidden thing on it. I love it. It's very heavy. I could knock someone out. This is like a self-defense weapon, but I really like my glass ball jar as my my water. Well, that, that's the thing. You get dehydrated because you're carrying water around. So what if you just didn't carry it around? Then you wouldn't be dehydrated. <laughs> right? Like, I think that makes the most amount of sense. Um, yeah. And, and I think um, going back to like listening to, to your body and the signals, um, when I lived down at State or Mississippi, um, you could tell when you were sweating, you were always sweating. So it was, I was like, I have to drink water, I have to drink water. Um, but being here in a dry climate, you know, where there's no humidity, uh, sometimes I'm like sweating and I don't realize it until I'm like, I have a headache, like what's going on, uh, simply because like, it's just evaporating that quickly and it's not collecting, uh, on your clothes as much. So, I mean, on those days, like I feel it, but for the most part, since I'm inside now, I'm like, eh, I'm not. I'm not really thirsty. So, oh, hey, cat. I hear, is that Celeste? Yeah, I, hear some I know. She's, <laughs> of course, sleeps all day and then decides it's time to wake up now. Um, it's like, hey, dad, let's yeah, talk. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, so, um, you know, so we talked a little bit about hydration and the general recommendation then. But now when it comes to actually eating and actually doing whatever it is that hour and a half or hour to three hours before, what are you going to tell someone who is just looking for a general guideline? And then how is that going to change based on maybe a long endurance event and someone who's just doing like high power, long rest time uh, weightlifting? Absolutely. So a lot of these vary sport to sport, but overall, what you're going to find is more endurance-based sports. There's a little bit more emphasis on the importance of carbohydrates and protein is important, but the ratio is a little different. It's higher carb, uh, that carb to protein ratio. And then when you have resistance training, it's usually like a two to one ratio of carbs to protein. So those are both the basic things we need in pre-workout nutrition is carbs and protein. And the timing is going to dictate if other things should be present or could be present, uh, depending on your preference. But the sport and the nature of your training is actually what's going to dictate that ratio specifically. And the same thing goes with post-workout nutrition. And if you think about it from an exercise science standpoint, like it's this beautiful marriage and it all makes sense. But when we're training endurance it's a very, very different when we're going prolonged distances at a lower intensity versus let's say we're powerlifting and we're trying to like max output something with our muscles. So it's totally, totally different. And I think the big thing to keep in mind is a lot of the pre-workout nutrition stuff, if you take away anything from this podcast, is that you should listen to your body and let that dictate what's best for your schedule. What your lifestyle schedule, your gut tolerance is going to be huge. 
you, I might say this is the perfect recipe of how to have the pre-workout nutrition, everything, the stars have aligned. This is the you know gold standard of what you should do. But you might be like, wow, I feel like absolute shit during my workout. This is not working for me. Then you need to listen to your body and disregard whatever recommendation you've decided to follow. So always listen to that feedback and figure out what timing works for you. But there's generally, I like to think of like three three tiers to pre-workout nutrition. And the first one is uh, that you're eating like an hour and a half to three hours before your workout. You can have a little bit more of a balanced meal where it's more carb heavy. You've got a protein source. You've got minimal fat and fiber, but they can be present because you've got plenty of time to digest. And the fat and the fiber is what's going to slow down that digestion, which we don't want when we're about to work out. We don't want our body to be distracted digesting. We want our body to be grabbing that fuel, uptaking it in a timely manner, and then being ready to give all its attention to our muscles and to our activity. So that's why why I say the minimal fat and fiber. Someone who's going to eat something like an hour before they work out, I would recommend in an hour or less you're doing no fat and fiber. And you're going to want something that's easily digestible like a shake or a smoothie. And you still should have protein and carbs present. I know we talked about this briefly in the comments. comments. Yeah. (laughs) And you were like, but why? And because you actually can start that process of muscle protein synthesis just through food, pre-workout. And there's some benefit to that. It's not because your body is going to immediately prefer to uptake and use the amino acids from protein as fuel. And then the pre-workout nutrition you love is like 30 minutes before to immediately before your workout, you're grabbing some awesome, simple carbohydrates. You're not going to confuse the body with anything else. Like just easy, let's get the carbs in the mouth and use it for fuel. Yeah. And and uh, I, I guess for, I mean, we, we mentioned the comments, but no one knows what we're talking about. So uh, what I asked was, uh, this was a couple of weeks back, is that for some reason, and I know that it was something that I thought about when I first started lifting when I was like 18 or whatever, was you have to have a protein shake before. Um, but what we know about, you know, what's metabolized quicker and what we actually use as immediate fuel, protein isn't isn't one of those, right? So it didn't make sense in my mind for me to have, you know, 25 to 50 grams of protein right before lifting. Um, and I, and I felt that it was wrong when I just had the bubble guts for like an hour and a half, like, this is horrible. Like why I'm I'm trying to work out and enjoy myself as much as possible. Why would I want to feel like I need to take a shit every three minutes? Uh, and, and that's when I really started to think about it. And now that we know that like carbohydrates are the main source of fuel for 95% of things, it didn't make sense for me. Uh, And I know that there's still a lot of people out there who, will kind of bomb a protein shake right before. Um, and, and I don't think that that really does much. Um, but if it's an hour out or three hours out, it makes more sense. And that's what we were talking about uh, in reference to the comments. So you would want, what what was the, the ratio that gave me? 0.25 grams? Yeah, so 0.25 times your, your body weight in pounds is like the general rec of how to find a good starting point for your protein you should have. But yeah, like you said, Anything less than an hour out, I would, wouldn't would touch a thing besides a carbohydrate source because, I mean, 
there's just a lot of anecdotal evidence like you just gave us and a lot of science that shows it's just not a good idea. When you would do that, did you have carbs with it or it was just like a straight up whey protein? No, I mean, when, when I first started, it was you would have uh, pre-workout, which is generally something that's like fruity tasty, right? And then you would bomb it with pr a protein shake in a separate shaker. So, you know, that is disgusting. Yeah, yeah. So you have so much caffeine. That's like all it's all you're thinking is like mm, poop. Uh, and then you have protein <laughs> and all it's thinking is like poop. So, yeah, it's like a, it's a horrible mixture. Um, and I don't have like a sensitive stomach or anything like I, I really do have like a steel stomach, but that mixture is not good for anyone. Um, and then, you know, yeah, the more you learn, the more you're like, okay, well, let me buy like, uh, what's it called? Wazy or maize, maize wax. Um, and it's just like simple, uh, carbohydrates that you can throw in your shake. But then when I realize it, it's like, I can just have candy. And that's way better than this, like, Wazy Max stuff or Maisy Wax. Uh, but, it, you know, that's that's a quick sugar, right? I love Rice Krispies. Yeah. I used to do uh, sweet tarts. Um, and it's also, like, because I used to train so early in the morning, it would be my reason for waking up is, like, fuck yeah, I get candy. It's, like, the first thing I get to do in the morning is candy. Like, that's the best way to wake up. Um, and that's when I really started focusing on like what to do immediately beforehand or like an hour beforehand. Well, yeah. yeah, I generally don't recommend candy just for like health habits and lifestyle choices. Uh. So I, I won't scold you, <laughs> but I will say that generally what I would recommend is something like uh, they make like applesauce pouches or like fruit squeeze pouches, just a banana, like a plain banana. I hate bananas. Um, I know it's hard. I love I bananas. Can't I eat like two a day. They're gross. I love it. That's so weird. What a weird thing to dislike. Bananas? Some if you if someone's listening that doesn't like bananas, like please DM me and tell me because like that's just the strangest thing to me. There's so many people that don't like bananas. Who does? My boss. My old boss. He like yeah, hated yeah. them. He just would not yeah. eat anything <laughs> with bananas it, in it. Is it a texture thing or a taste thing? Yeah, it's like own organic wrapper. Like you don't even have to put it in anything. It's just already wrapped. Well, first of all, uh, oh, okay. <laughs> so so easy. <laughs> Portable. So. You can take it. You can throw it in your bag. It's amazing. Yeah, but you can do the same thing with a bag of candy. You know. See, team bananas. Team bananas. Okay, I'm making it a hashtag. Yeah, team bananas. Yeah, and then team <laughs> no banana for me. <laughs> Tweet it out, chat. Um, yeah, so I think that, uh, something that's really important is, is what you said about, um, the timing of it, right? So for the, for the person who has the time that is like, Hey, I'm going to, you know, make sure I structure a three hour workout window. And by that, I mean, from eating to warming up, to working out, to cooling down, to eating again, um, then you can give those recommendations. But for someone who's like, you know, I work a nine to five, a nine to five, and then I do. I have like three kids at home, and blah, blah blah. Like when I go in, like I I only I have zero time to prepare to prepare for pre and post nutrition. What are you gonna tell that person? I'm gonna say have a something easy like 
grab and go like a banana like a not a banana yeah or a pouch of applesauce because they're just in these pre-packaged little pouches and like that's what i would have in my gym bag ready to go so that i could just grab that you could even have it on the way to the gym or whatever it is and then you have your workout if, if you know that you kind of have to your schedule can't be quite as like thought out and it might things might change quickly i would always recommend going with that like shorter window pre-workout nutrition the biggest thing I can say is just just don't work out fasted. And you can pick whatever pre-workout nutrition pattern works for you. And I think that that 30-minute that window would be my rec for someone who's really busy. Um, and just don't work out fasted. Just don't do it. Why? But that that's gonna why? Why would I why would I not work out fasted? Because you need to bookend your workouts with nutrition and adequately be fueled, top off your glycogen stores and be ready for training. I don't think there's benefit and the research doesn't seem to think that there's benefit to training adaptions when your body is fasted. You're, it's like, why are we taking away this tool that our body wants to use for energy and performance? And we're going to take that tool away and then we're going to put our body under all this stress. Like, why? And I know that a lot of people uh, like to do like low, steady state, fasted cardio. Um, I feel like intermittent fasting started this trend where we're going to work out fasted. And like, you'll see people in the gym doing crazy strength training in the gym, fasted with their little shaker full of BCAs. And it makes me want to slam my head against a wall because you're not going to get the most out of your training if you are not properly fueled and primed for that training. Yeah. I, I mean, I think- Thank the, you for coming the, to my TED Talk. <laughs> I think the the easiest way to think about it is like if if, you, if you're if you a Ferrari or a Porsche, right? Or even just like a, a little Toyota Camry, like you need gas, right? <laughs> like what, what like I, I understand that like we think that we are this special like- breed of things but we're still animals like we still need energy so yeah it doesn't make sense uh or there aren't more benefits to doing it than there would be if you just like ate um so super important to stress that for sure yeah i mean basically the whole goal and the whole purpose of pre-workout nutrition is to supply energy top off those glycogen stores it's going to help you prevent fatigue and it's going to improve your performance and your power output I don't know about you, but that sounds like all the things I would want to do during a workout. So I, that's why I really, really, I stand pretty firmly on don't work out fasted. So intranutrition then, right? Yeah, I know I have my own thoughts on branched amino acids um, and clearly so do you. Uh, but <laughs> what, what are your, what if someone says like, so there's so many uh, powerlifters I know that will hit like a set. Right. And they have five to 10 minutes of rest, but they're like, I've got to eat gummy worms in between. Like, no, you don't. Because uh, if you know how the energy continuum works, then you you know that you're not using carbs uh, really within that 25 seconds of lifting what you're doing. So there's really- Yeah, that would be no, like pure ATP. Yeah, exactly. So it's, no, we're not even using that system. <laughs> yeah. Yet. So so what do you say to uh, to people who are um, or I guess what kind of recommendations do you give to people who are doing training and they're going to ask you like, what should I do or what should I be eating during my training? Uh, and how does that change based on, you know, a power sport, um, someone who's doing long endurance stuff and someone who's doing very long enduring stuff. So like, uh, what ultras and Ironman right. things like that. 
so the fuel of choice is carbohydrates. And while I'm on a roll with just talking about everything that irks me, if you think that putting fats into your system while you're working out is a good idea, I really want you to reevaluate the research, especially around gut tolerance, health, and energy systems, because your body will utilize fat while you're working out, but it's breaking down fat through metabolic pathways that actually use utilize carbohydrates to process the fat. You can't ingest a piece of bacon or something and then immediately use it for fuel. That's just not how it works. But yes, your energy system does burn fat through a different process, not through ingesting it. So really when we're talking about intro workout nutrition, we're just talking about carbs. And the variation that's going to occur is the amount of carb. So if you're someone who's doing a really long ultra endurance event, you're gonna need to kind of stay ahead of the curve knowing that you're gonna be that active and be putting a lot more carbs in the system. They say these are all ranges, but like even like 60 grams an hour or more and they should vary. You should be having different types of carbs if you're someone who's planning on doing this long activity. I didn't prep all my notes for intra-new workout nutrition, intra-workout nutrition. We really could do a whole episode just about that, honestly. But if you're someone who's working out for less than 90 minutes a day and you would be more of a recreational athlete or just a, a normal active person doing awesome active things, I really don't recommend that you use intra-workout fuel. I don't think it's necessary. But if you're an athlete, depending on your sport, sometimes it is necessary. And we're talking like 15 to 30 grams an hour of carbs when you first start. And then it's going to be like, well, I might need 30 to 60. If you're going to be active for two to three hours, you're talking more like 30 to 60 grams of carb. If you're going to be active for three hours plus, you need way more than that. So that's kind of how that varies. For someone who's a power lifter, is specifically this question you asked of like, well, I need gummy bears after each set. Um, I honestly think, yeah, I honestly think it's a distraction because you, you're you just like putting stuff in your stomach and you don't want to be digesting and sending all this energy, like in the blood going to your stomach to digest food and move it through your body. You really want to be focused on what you're doing and not going into this digestive state while you're training. So I think that there's something to be said for trying to overuse intra-workout nutrition and there is a happy medium. For sure. Yeah. And, and I think that um, when I was, again, in my like earlier days when I was training, uh, I was always like hungry, right? While I worked out. And so to me, that meant like, hey, well, I should be um, having branch chain amino acids and I should be having snacks, whatnot. Um, but the difference was that I wasn't really eating before and after. So of course I was hungry, right? Like it wasn't that I was yeah. utilizing so much energy that it was like my body was like, you need to eat now. It was, you haven't eaten. And we, the only way you're going to get through this is if you eat. Um, and I think that's like right. a really important distinction um, to understand, uh, especially like, because th- those are things that you can control for the most part, right? Have I eaten today? No, great. I'm probably going to get hungry. So maybe I should have a snack, right? But I'm not going to consistently try and keep my fat burning uh, systems going or my car burning systems going by consistently just, you know, shoveling candy um, or a ton of bananas 
uh, in, in my mouth, um, which sounds weird, but it's okay. Um, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think definitely something that most people don't understand. And, and from the metabolism point, uh, as far as like muscles go, um, I love, like I said, Rice Krispies. I, I definitely am someone who's like, as soon as you have carbohydrates, you have GLUT4 transporters that are increased. And so the uptake of glucose um, into the muscles is going to be increased. But they, they've done so many studies where they just destroy bodybuilders and they destroy people through eccentric movements and like very high power stuff. And there was not a significant decrease in muscle glycogen. So there really is no reason for you to just be having 60 to 100 grams of carbohydrates um, while you're working out for, let's be honest, like an hour, you know, and then even yeah. then the actual time that you're working out, 25 minutes, you know, um, and it's even worse when you go with a group or you are uh, a normie in that gym. So, you know, everyone, and you just talk for like four hours, like. Okay, then then yeah. you should be eating because it's been four hours. Um, but how much work have you actually done? But yeah. Yeah, and we have our blood glucose, right? We have glycogen in our muscles, liver. It's like we have all these different fuel sources to pull from. So it's definitely not necessary, I think, for intra-workout fuel for everyone. And um, I think that you definitely hit the nail on the head that if you're hungry during your workout, that says more about what's been going on before your workout and you need to book, book end your workouts. We said that so many times at BT nutrition, book end your workouts. We would still have people come in there. There were these really weird, like Gatorade gummies. They were kind of like gushers, but like oh, the, Gatorade packaged those yeah, like yeah, sugar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we would have so many guys run in before practice, grab as many as they were allowed to and take off and think that like that was the answer to just like eat a bunch of gummies while they worked out. And it's like the real magic happens if you bookend your workouts and you think about getting the fuel in before, after, and then just focus on your training. Yeah, for sure. Um, so we've kind of, we've talked about general recommendations for pre-nutrition, um, intra and then post like <clears throat> anyone who has listened so far uh is is most likely going to say well whatever you did beforehand like you, you should do after so is that like a, a right way to think about it or should it be a little bit more calculated or should it be different or you know what are your thoughts on that actually generally it would work to say whatever you did before, do after to a certain extent. Uh, for me, it works, I guess, depending on your timing. Post-workout nutrition is a, is a little bit simpler and it's more based on the type of activity you're doing. So let me put this in perspective here. So really the biggest takeaway with post-workout nutrition is the myth that you need to immediately have something after I, well, it's a myth. The metabolic that window. You need to immediately, yeah. That, right. So it's not really an anabolic window. It's like an anabolic barn door. As long as you're consuming something two hours or less after a workout, great, happy. If you refuse to heed my warning about working out fasted, however, you need to be eating something immediately after you walk out of the gym. Uh, but hopefully you guys are going to be super smart and listen to me and not do that. But you want to eat something two hours or less after training. 
And it's the same ratio of two to one usually for carbs to protein is is kind of the, the way to go about it. If you had a really long endurance event, the carbs should go up, the protein should kind of remain the same and, and just throw that ratio off. But the reason we need these things is because the whole point of nutritionally speaking, post-workout is that we want to repair the muscle tissue breakdown. We want to replenish all those glycogen stores and all those fabulous carbs we used during our workout. And then we want to recover from the activity. And this is increasingly important if you're someone who's a serious athlete and you do something like two-a-days because you want to recover as quickly as possible and be ready for that next workout or the next training session or whatever it is you're doing. So post-workout nutrition is definitely just as equally important. And it's more important if you're someone who works out and does two a days and, and you're an athlete for, you know, using your body for your job or someone who's a high performer. For sure. So I know that like some of the uh, fighters that we train over at the performance ranch, like they have, you know, they work out in the mornings. Some of them will run before they even get to work out with us. And then they have their days where they're just grappling all day, where they're working on, uh, boxing skills where they're working on wrestling skills and like they're training three to five times a day. So for them, it's very important, right? To be like, Hey, eat immediately after because an hour from now you're going to be training again at a very high level. And then that'll last two hours. You get another break and then you have to go and train again. And then by that time it's like 5 PM. And if someone has not eaten, then they've trained three, four times have not eaten. And then they have to go home and some of them have to work jobs. Some of them have to take care of their families. Um, some of them have to go, you know, just work on stuff by themselves. So that's going to affect their sleeping patterns and their recovery patterns. Um, so yeah, I think that it's really great that you said that generally like eating and uh, up to two hours afterwards is what you should be doing. But if you know that you're going to get right back to work, you should probably, and not probably, you should definitely be eating immediately after everything that you do. Um, but yeah, for sure. So what do you, what about like fats though? Cause we always give protein and carbs, um, the, the go ahead, but why don't we do the same thing for fats? Yeah. So post-workout is the same kind of thing where it's like minimal, minimal fat and fiber because those things both slow down our digestion and we really want the purpose of that post-workout fuel again to be the immediate uptake and use to stop that catabolic breakdown process that we started with our activity and we're going to go into a more anabolic process and we don't want that to be prolonged by having fat coat the stomach, fiber slow down it moving through the body. And, and that's generally why we say no to minimal fat and fiber. Yeah. And for anyone who doesn't know, catabolic means to to break down and anabolic means to to build up. So if we're thinking about the breaking down of muscle, right? And then the build up of muscle, like obviously we want to do the latter. Yeah. Well, I thought that, I mean, that was kind of like one of the most fascinating things I learned when I got into fitness when I was younger was during workout, we're destroying and tearing and breaking down our muscle. It's like kind of counterintuitive. So we're in this catabolic state. And then afterwards is actually when we build the muscle and we take, we're, we're sleeping well, we're getting our nutrition, you know, we're repairing then and it builds it bigger. So that, that would be our anabolic time period. That's when I started uh, questioning branched amino acids because I was like, 
why would we want to keep things not broken down if that's what the whole point is? Um, and there's a lot of reasons why I don't think that branching amino acids are effective, but that was, that was when I first started thinking about it. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, I think regarding nutrition and stuff like that was a, those are like really great recommendations. And I, I think when you look at like a scale, right, if you are doing more, you should be eating more, um, which seems like very intuitive, but for some reason people are like, oh no, like I, I can only have 60 grams because that's what they say is, is efficient. Um, and then even, even then when you talk about stuff that you did earlier, like it's dependent on the person, right? Like everyone kind of metabolizes things a little differently. So you're going to want to take the amount of food that you can that allows you to not feel lethargic, that allows you to recover well. And that is a lot of like trial and error, right? Because again, exactly. e even if bananas were the best thing in the world, I would not eat them post-workout because I can't stand them, right? And then I would vomit and I would be in a catabolic state. So uh, yeah, definitely, while these are like really great guidelines, they are also guidelines. Right. It's, it's not 110 percent, not the even the Constitution is changeable. Right. I don't even know if there's anything that should be followed to a T. Um, and sci the whole point of science is it's always changing. And uh, Nicole and I ran. Um, well, Nicole has run a lot, way more than I have. But we ran the St. Jude half marathon together. And that was that was good enough for me. <laughs> uh, but what was crazy is a part a huge part of our training wasn't just that we needed to do these long distance runs. We had to practice our pre-workout fueling plan, our intra-workout fueling plan, and our post-workout. So I think if we can switch our mindset to think, okay, I want my body to perform and do this awesome thing, the food part and practice should be just as much a part of it as the training and the activity side of it. Uh, especially if there's like an, an event or something that you're training for, this will make a really big difference as to if this is a miserable experience for you, or this is something that you're going to enjoy and you're going to feel good about. Yeah. Yeah. And, and one thing that I just thought about, uh, <clears throat> which kind of brings up the water thing is, uh, did you know that the fastest times ran for the marathon, all those people didn't drink any water during their run? Oh, that makes my body hurt. Whoa. But they're so fast, they're actually. So fast. Maybe that's not that big of a deal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't. That might be it too, right? Because like, it's not that you're running for three hours, but you are crushing. I don't even know what a top speed would be for marathon runners. Like, cool. You're the fastest. Nicole, would, slow Nicole, people. you would know. Yeah, it's normally like if they're like if they're winning the marathon. They're literally like either right at two hours or a couple minutes under two hours, which is for normal, like, you know, if you're doing like 10, 10 minute miles, if you're running a half marathon, that's normally how long it'll take you to finish a half marathon is two hours. But elite runners are finishing a full marathon in two hours. So insane. Jeez. So uh, one thing that, that I do want to touch on is like, um, you know, Brooke talked about from a sports performance perspective, like Nicole, how would you talk to someone who, um, or how, I guess what might be different for someone who you would work with, who's more 
like the health at every size approach, the listen to your hunger cues approach, like would would that be different? And if if so, why? And if not, why not? Yeah, I think like when, you know, even with us, like all the three of us, you know, when we like we are approaching working out at a very like gin pop level, like we do it because it makes us feel good or it's what we like. Or, I mean, Ro, okay, Ro, you can, you know, Ro do, wants to do pretend he's a freaking thing. Olympian yeah. over here. No, I, I wish. I'm not. I'm, I'm like, yeah, above Okay, average well, then pop, for so. me, like, when I go to the gym and I'm doing these classes that are, like, 45 minutes long, I don't see anybody taking a break to go eat a snack, you know? Like, <laughs> that's just not what normal people are doing. So um, I think, like, when – and like for me, and it goes back to like what Brooke kind of just said, it's just like the longer like you're in the health behaviors that work for you, like, and you found a movement pattern that you enjoy and that, you know, you've been consistent with and it's sustainable for your life, you just kind of like, you learn what works and what doesn't. And um, I follow a couple um, trainers who are also like non-diet trainers and approach movement and in like an intuitive fashion as well. And it was funny because one of the girls that I follow, she was talking about intuitive eating and it's just so crazy because like, because of diet culture and whatnot, like we've had to put a name on this, but it's really just, it's just eating. Like you're eating when you're hungry and you're fueling yourself appropriately. And so when I think about me or like someone I would talk to, it's just kind of like, I don't even really think about, oh, it's two hours before my workout. Like, let me eat this, this, and this. Like, I just kind of like go about my day in a way that I'm eating as like my body's kind of telling me to. And um, I really try to like approach that in a way that you know, there probably is a banana in their row and there's just like, you know, there's this balance of where I'm kind of getting like carbohydrates, proteins and fat and fiber and hydration all throughout my day. So when I get to my workout, like I feel good. And if it's been like a super crazy day and for whatever reason, like I didn't get to eat lunch that day or whatever it is, I can definitely tell when I get to my workout, like, okay, something was off. And so I think like once you kind of like embrace your sustainable lifestyle and you get into a flow of what really, really works for you, you realize like immediately on a day that it's just like, it's an off day. I didn't get to eat lunch. I didn't drink as, as much water as I normally do. And that did, you know, affect my movement for that day. And I know that, you know, Brooke's been like, we've kind of been touching on a lot of like endurance athletes or um, Olympic lifting and things like that. But for general population, I think like you don't want to like overwhelm them with this like pre-workout intro workout, like talk because they're just going to be like, wait, what? (laughs) Like why, why do I need to like, why am I worrying about this? I should just kind of, you know, be fueled and like, just going throughout my day like I normally would and not really having to think about it because for the general population, it probably is going to be a little overwhelming to be like, okay, I need 40 grams of carbs and 20 grams of protein 
this many hours before I go work out for 45 minutes. Like it's just kind of, right. it's going to be too much. <laughs> for sure. That definitely is like the anxiety of overwhelm. And it's just one of those things where like, just do what's good for you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that it, it naturally bookends a workout, right? If you are in like, you are um, really in tune with your hunger cues, then when you're done working out and 30 minutes pass it by, and you're like, oh man, I'm really hungry. Like, you're gonna go and eat, right? Uh, and that's for someone who is, who who is in tune with that, right? And there's a lot of people who aren't, so they'll be like, oh, four hours have passed, and I'm like, oh, I don't feel good. It's like, oh, it's because you haven't eaten anything. Um, but I think that that's that was really great, like to understand that, like, in in the grand scheme of things, things don't change. There's just less structure uh, if you are gen pop, someone who's just trying to be healthy and kind of live a long, healthy life, or someone who is like, I'm trying to compete, I'm trying to get optimal performance, like, this is what I need to do. Yeah. And even for gen pop, you know, we do we still like, set these goals, like if it's I want to run a mile in eight minutes, or I want to be able to back squat 200 pounds, like, we still set these goals that may not be at the Olympic level and you know, yeah. your fuel and your nutrition, that's still going to play a part. And there's still things that you can learn that aren't going to be super strict or overwhelming, but it is still helpful to know like what fuels your body and allows you to get stronger and faster or whatever your goal is. So it still plays a part, but you know, just generally speaking, especially if you're just getting started, um, you know, just take it slow and really just try to tune into like what your body is saying and what it really needs. Yeah. The biggest takeaway is just bookend your workouts. Don't overwhelm yourself. Like Nicole said, and just figure out what works for you. And if there's something that's fueling you on either end, you're a winner. You're a winner. <laughs> you're only a winner if you set PRs every time. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Cool. What do you have for us on the fitness side of things, Ro? Yeah. So um, it's really uh, it's really interesting when you talk to people and stuff. Uh, you know, the reason I asked about maybe the night before or a couple hours before um, for nutrition was because that's how I think about training, right? Um and I try to tell tell clients and people that um, if you have a program written out, then it makes a lot of sense for you to look at it the night before or like a couple hours before so that you can start setting your intention then. Um, because I know for me, if I'm like, hey, I'm supposed to hit something heavy tomorrow, I'm going to do my best to like really optimize my sleep or really think about um, some positive mental uh stuff so that I can get to sleep a little better or just think about like, yeah, tomorrow things are going to feel light. Um, and while that might not make a difference, like in a, from a statistical standpoint uh, in the lab, like I know that if you wake up knowing that you have to do work, then you are like, okay, I know what I have to do today. I'm going to prime myself better. Um, and that's kind of why, why I asked about the, the night before. Um, but when it comes to warming up, right? How would, how would you guys say that you warm up? Like run me through what you might do just for like a normal movement day. 
I feel like I have the cheat codes because right. I do whatever you tell me to do as my trainer. Right, yeah, fair. So before, <laughs> uh, on the days that you don't do that, because I know that there are some days where you're like, I don't want to do this, right? Like, what do you do or what did you do before you warmed up the way I prescribe stuff? Uh, honestly, I'm going to wrap myself out. I don't like doing warm-ups and cool-downs. For sure, same. But I've learned that they're really important. And sometimes I would just do the easy thing for a warm-up of like just five minutes of an easy jog or a bike to get the blood flowing. And that would really be all I would do sometimes. And then go through whatever I had planned for that day, like body weight or super light, just to do the movement pattern before I start loading weight. Like that would be just kind of like easy things I would do before I started working with you. Yeah, definitely. And then like, Nicole, what, are, how, how do you warm up for the stuff that, that you do? So for me, I'll like, it kind of depends on what it is that I'm working that day. So if I'm doing like lower body, I really like warming up with a booty band. <laughs> um, I love booty bands. <laughs> oh God. What like, I guess, I mean, would you call it like turning on your butt? Like the movements that kind of like engage my, my butt and my abs, like that really um, helps me, especially in lower body workouts. And then um, in upper body workouts, like I also like utilizing the band just to kind of like warm up my shoulders and warm up my back and, you know, whatever it may be. But I guess like active stretches almost and then like also incorporating some smaller movements that will get like my heart rate up but i think that's yeah a band a band is what i go is my go-to for sure so so i think that um that some of the general stuff that that you both hit on is you are warming up, right? Uh, the the whole point is for you to increase um, the movement of the blood, increase some body heat, uh, turning on muscles, right? There's a huge, um, uh, we'll say conversation about whether that's like real or not, because, you know, muscles don't really uh, turn off, right? So what does it mean to actually turn something on? Um, and then, you know, uh, again, stuff in the lab, doesn't translate to stuff in real life, right? Because uh, we can say that foam rolling doesn't do anything for power production, but people feel a lot better when they foam roll and when they massage. So they tend to perform better. So how much, you know, how much leeway are we giving to what the science says and what uh, people say anecdotally? But anyway, uh, the main reasons that we warm up generally are uh, so that we don't get hurt, right? so that we can increase performance and then so we can uh, start to set the intention. So uh, I think you both hit on it. So Nicole, if you are going to do a lower body thing, it makes sense for you to warm up your legs, right? It doesn't make sense. You'd be like, oh, I'm going to warm up my shoulders now right before I go for like a heavy squat. Um, so really the, the intention makes a lot of sense. Um, and not just from like a lifting perspective, but uh, from like a, a running perspective. So if you're working on sprints that day, you're really going to want to work on things that deal with sprinting. So getting your heart rate up, warming up the muscles, um, working on those movement patterns. Um, so definitely starts with the intention there. 
another thing that uh, is really important is we want to activate. We don't want to annihilate. So it doesn't make sense for you to put on those booty bands. And I know I'm saying you, but I also use them every day. So like for the same reason, right? I'm trying to turn on my hips and my my glutes. Um, but it doesn't make sense that I'm going to, you know, forward and backward walk and lateral walk until I can't move anymore, right? It's just enough until I'm like, okay, like I feel pretty good. I feel warm. Um, I understand that my knees aren't as cracky as they were before I started. So now we can get started. Um, and then from there, right, kind of getting into sport specific stuff. So, you know, uh, with Brooke, with you, I, I know that I, I work a lot. It's almost always just like lower body stuff as a general warm up. Um, but it's because we sit so much, right? We spend so much time kind of hunched over. So, yeah, we're not really primed to do work. Um, and I know that there's my buddy Zach likes to say, like, you never see a line warming up. So, like, why do we as humans have to warm up? It's like, well, because lines don't also sit in like these positions for like hours on end consistently over years right um like they're built to move i've noticed always moving and i yeah and i notice i hurt when i sit for prolonged periods of time i get up and i'm like hurting i feel sore i feel tight like it's a real thing for sure yeah and and i think that for someone who doesn't work out um and does sit a lot they don't hurt as much just because like their body has adapted to just being like in a position for 12 hours a day. And then they start working out and they start living a more active lifestyle. And then they're like, man, this whole sitting down thing hurts, but it's because they're slowly adapting to moving and, and being active. And so sitting down becomes less natural. And so sitting in these positions where, you know, your shoulders are rolled forward, your neck is rolled forward, become very painful. Um, so yeah, it all starts with the intention, activating, and then sport-specific stuff. Now, the reason I brought up getting hurt or whatever uh, is because we every time I ask a class, like, why do we warm up? They're like, so we don't get hurt so that we can uh, we get the blood flowing. And, and what does that actually mean? It's like, well, I don't think that there's any like real evidence that warming up saves you from getting hurt, uh, especially in a sport, because there's more often than not, it's like a lack of programming. So if you have weak hamstrings, they're going to go out. It's not that you didn't warm up enough. Uh, and then also, if you get hit from the side on your knee, it doesn't matter how much you power clean and how much you warmed up that day, like your ACL is gone, right? There's, there's only so many things that warming up can help with. Um, but what it does do is it does help prime you for whatever you're doing that day. So when we think about enzymes and metabolism um, and like the increase of energy, that's why we want to heat up the body. So our muscles, right, have a, a generally, if you want to think about it, like we have an internal temperature of what, 98.6, right? If we start to increase that internal temperature and then locally at the muscle, what we're doing is we're increasing the activity of the enzyme. Um, and what we're doing then is being able to produce energy in a more efficient way. So it's not just that we are trying to get blood to the muscle um, and to warm up, but it's that we're creating a warm environment so that the um, enzymes can become more efficient and then we can increase metabolism, things like that. 
Uh, another thing to think about is if we understand muscles, like there's the actual myofiber and then there's the neural component. So just because your muscle is warm doesn't mean that it's ready to perform because your neurons aren't really set. You haven't done anything to warm them up if you just do like a general warm up. So one of the reasons that I kind of shit on foam rolling is because if you just foam roll, you get into a nice relaxed state, right? You're trying to break uh, adhesions in the muscle. Um, and I'm air quoting for people that can't see the video. Um, all, all you're really doing is putting yourself in a parasympathetic state, which means you're putting yourself in a relaxed state. So why would I want to get relaxed if I'm about to go and try and hit a one rep max? If I'm supposed to hit, you know, three sets of three um, at 97, or that doesn't make sense, but at 92%, uh, you know, it, it doesn't make sense for us to do those types of things. What does make sense is maybe taking a slam ball and slamming it as hard as you can for a minute. Um, because that's going to kind of wake up your central nervous system. That's going to get your heart rate pumping a bit more. Uh, doing things like a lateral bound, skipping, things that are kind of making you do more uh, high, high production work is going to translate better than just kind of foam rolling, going into squatting. Um, when you foam roll, warm up, start to speed up your system and then get into lifting something heavy. Um, and I think that's kind of where there's a lost translation because people are like, oh, well, when I, when I foam roll, I feel good. Like I feel better. I move better. Like that's fair, but are you producing power better? Are you stronger because of it? Like inherently no, because you are kind of telling your system to shut off. But if you put in place the you know, the jumps and the power ball slams and, you know, all these other high power movements, then you are setting yourself up more optimally to perform uh, because you are activating that nervous system. And I feel like I just talked for like 10 minutes straight. Um, but yeah. What's up? You said that warming up like doesn't, can't really prevent injury. And I guess like, with warming up, like, mm -hmm. do you associate like mobility movements as warming up, or is that like a separate workout that you should be having, like, one full day out of the week or whatever? Like, that should be just like you focusing on mobility, or should you be doing mobility work on a daily basis? Yeah, so that's a really great question. Um, oh, as you warm up, it's it's generally mobilizing, right? Because if you are doing something like a high knee pull or a quad stretch, you are kind of inherently mobilizing your hips and your knees and, and your quads uh, to, to move through that movement pattern. Um, so I guess it kind of depends on what you mean by mobility, but it also depends on how you're feeling that day. And if you tend to be very tight in certain areas. So for me, um, like I broke my ankle almost 10 years ago. Uh, and it, it just, it doesn't plantar flex all the way and it doesn't dorsal flex all the way. It just is what it is. It's limited movement. And if I don't spend time mobilizing that, right, working through those end ranges of motion, kind of forcing it into position a bit, then my squats get messed up. My deadlifts get messed up. 
Um, in general, my walking pattern gets messed up. So like that's something that I should be doing every day just because I have to, I'm trying to have the healthiest ankle and movement patterns I can, but there should also be days associated to general mobility days. Um, so, you know, some of the, uh, athletes that, that I train and then some people who work in, uh, like first responder jobs, like they have to be mobile and able to go at all times. So they get a day where it's just for an hour, you're putting on music, you're running through the circuit, you know, and you're focusing on your, uh, kind of tighter spots there. So the answer is like both, if you have time for both, but you know, if you are going to have a heavy squat day, then you should probably mobilize your hips, right? You should probably sit at the bottom of a squat and get comfortable in that position, kind of, uh, look into loosening up your hips a bit more. Um, but then from there going into producing power. So maybe moving a bit more quick, um, in a body weight squat, um, you know, doing lunges or world's greatest stretch to kind of, again, activate those, those muscles. Um, so it's kind of, it's kind of a, a both type of answer. It depends. What, what is the world's greatest stretch? Um, the world's greatest stretch. I don't How do I, how do I, uh, verbalize what it is? So what you're going to do is like you, um, would take a step, uh, and it would be like a, a knee hug, right? So high up into your chest. And then you get mm -hmm. into a lunge position with that leg. And so you're like, let's say you're, we're using our right leg. So right leg, um, holding up to my knee. So I'm really just trying to, or my chest. So I'm trying to get like a nice deep stretch. Then I'm lunging forward with that right leg. And so now my left leg is back. And next thing I'm going to do is if you have the mobility and the strength for it, you're not going to let that left knee, uh, touch the ground. Uh, but if you, you know, are weaker it's, or it's uh, an uncomfortable position, you can drop that knee. Um, but from there, what you're going to do is kind of drop that right elbow to kind of get into a deeper position. And then what you're going to do is you're going to twist uh, inward so that right arm goes up. And so it's called the world's greatest stretch because you're kind of moving through multiple um, warm up or multiple movement patterns. And it's almost like a little yoga flow with a twist at the end. Yeah, it, it pretty much okay. is, right? Uh, the only difference is you're not holding it for like long periods of time. When your knee is up to your chest, do you drop down into a lunge or do you keep holding your knee while you drop into a lunge? Because I just no, am like no. picturing myself face planted. So, so you... <laughs> I want to try and yeah, demonstrate. Yeah. So, so you, Wait, so like you, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're just pulling, and then it. I step forward with yeah, it, and then you would step forward with it. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. Uh, now I feel like I'm going to try that tomorrow and just to see how it goes. But um, yeah, definitely not not a good thing. Um, but kind of talking about the the neural stuff, um, there are some systems out there, um, like. RPR, um, and then some of the research that like Therabody and Hypervolt are doing uh, that look at percussive therapy and how those massage guns can uh, warm you up without decreasing performance like a stretch would. So when you get into like a static stretch, which is you holding a position for 
30 seconds to a minute, um, what you're doing is you are really trying to get that muscle to relax. And again, what we just talked about, why would you want to relax it if you're about to go perform? But what percussive therapy and uh, reflective performance reset, so RPR, uh, their whole premise is to wake up the CNS by massaging it. So what you're doing is you're activating the um, muscle spindle, which allows it to contract faster without getting it to deactivate. Um, but I don't, I don't think that there's like enough research out there to say it. I know that they do a really good job at um, showing people that if you massage a certain spot, then you can breathe heavier, then you can uh, perform better. But it's, it's one of those things that like I'd like to take the course just to kind of see what it's about. Um, but for the most part, it, it's, it's the same thing where you are trying to activate your central nervous system because that is a fundamental part of muscles and performing. Like it's not just the muscle belly itself. I like how much you mentioned that the intention matters as a part of the movement prep. For sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, again, like why would you try to relax before you're going for something heavy? Um, or why would you move slow before you're about to sprint? Right. That doesn't mean that you should just like do a billion jumps at high speed and then go right to sprinting, but you should work up to it. Um, and it should never be just foam rolling and then going right into something. Because again, we've talked about it puts you in a relaxed state and then doesn't optimize you for whatever movement you're doing. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and then as far as like uh, post-workout stuff goes, you know, it's again, it's one of those things where the research says that if you don't do a cool down, right, nothing is going to happen. Like you don't decrease your chances of uh, getting hurt or performing the next day. Um, so if you have the time to, you should, you should probably let your heart rate cool down a bit. You should get into maybe some deep stretches if you are trying to work on some flexibility. Um, but you know, if it's just about you performing day in and day out, then some deep breathing is going to be good because that's going to set you into a relaxed state more than, you know, just kind of sitting in pigeon pose because you can sit in pigeon pose but for some people, it's very strenuous. And so they're breathing heavy, just trying to sit in that pose thinking, I need to relax, I need to relax, but they're not relaxing. But if you get them to sit down with their legs up in the air on a wall or just flat and just say, hey, take two minutes and just breathe nice and slow, big, deep breaths, then we're going to really start to get our system to relax, switch into that parasympathetic, parasympathetic nervous system um, or state. And then from there, like that's only two minutes of deep breathing, right? Then you're more set. You're kind of more in tune with your body. You feel more refreshed and then you can go. Like there's something to be said about crushing a PR and then doing a bunch of accessory work and then feeling good and then leaving, but you're still like jacked up and then you just kind of crash an hour or two later. Um, and that's, you know, could be the caffeine as well, uh, depending on what you're taking uh, beforehand. But it's also just, because you are so energized and you're so active and activated from a neural standpoint that your body finally gets a chance to say, okay, we're good now, let's crash. 
But if we can kind of guide it into relaxing and we take some time into breathing, then long term, or at least definitely for that day um, and for the night that comes after your training, you tend to recover or at least feel more recovered for the next day or the next time you're training, things like that. Yeah. I mean, it that makes a lot of sense. Question for you. What's up? So in all honesty, I just pack my days because I like to be overly productive. It's just like what I do. It's called anxiety. I overbook my days and I overbook my days and I don't really take the time after a workout to probably properly cool down and stretch. But once a week, I devote an hour to like a yin yoga stretch and mobility style class. Is that a fair trade-off for someone like me who's like, I mean, more of a gen pop recreational athlete at this point? Yeah. Um, so I mean like fair trade-off. Like what do you what do you mean by that? Like I know in a perfect world, I should probably devote time to stretching and mobility work every day after I work out. But in all honesty, I'm just not going to do yeah, it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, like, I, I'm just not, I'm not because I just stack my days full of things and I'll take the time to like cool down and relax. And pretty much I usually go immediately into a shower is what I do. So I, I just know, basically I'm trying to ask, is there a fair compromise that fits with my schedule and my lifestyle where I'm not doing something super detrimental? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that that kind of goes to, um, the nutrition thing as well, where like you have to do what works for you, right? I mean, I, as much as I would love to say that I spend 20 minutes warming up every time I lift, like I don't because sometimes I just don't feel like it. Um, but for me, like I, and I know you said that, um, we'll talk about it later at the end, that you were releasing a, a blog about like pre and post stuff. I'm also working on pre and post like warm ups and cool downs. But I think that it's important to have like a one minute, five minute and 15 to 20 minute warm up and cool down protocol. So if you do have the time, right, this is I'm doing A, B, C and D and I can get into it. But, you know, maybe I don't have the extra 20 minutes today. I need to work on my one minute uh, warm up. Then the trade off is going to be that I probably won't push it as much or whatever. Um, But that also means that generally my posts workout stuff is not going to be available. So I'm going to focus on just my two minutes of deep breathing instead of deep stretches. So I love that. I think that that's like, cause I could commit to two minutes. Yeah. You know, it's like right? baby steps. It's like, I can commit to a minute or two. Yeah. Okay. Like I can do that. I actually really love the warm ups. I'll do the full warm up you give me. I'll take my time. I'll do like 10 minutes. I'll just like stick where with whatever feels good. But, but when I'm done, I just want to like collapse on the little mat in the sure. home gym we have and yeah, just yeah. be done. Yeah, and and I think that that's like it's it's something to think about as a as a trainer if you're listening to this, right? It doesn't make sense for me to be like, "Hey, here's an hour to an hour 15 of working out or whatever it's going to be that day." On top of that, I'm going to need you to relax for 15 minutes, and then on top of that, uh I'm going to need you to do 15 minutes of prep work. So this hour long training now has become an hour and a half to two hours, right? And people just don't have the time for that. So I think that having those kind of systems or um, set protocols allows you to kind of pick what you're feeling that day. Um, And sometimes, you know, you fly through your workout and you're like, oh, I have extra time. Like, I'm going to commit to relaxing a bit more today. 
Um, and then other days you're like, nope, I got 16 meetings today. I'm just coming in to warm up. I'm going to swing my arms a bit. I'm going to crush it. And then I'm going to feel like shit later. Um, but, you know, I think that going back to the the yoga thing and the fair trade-off, if it works for you, if you're able to recover, if you are feeling strong, you're not feeling as sore, um, you don't have pain, then it's working for you, right? As if you start to see plateaus in your gains uh, in strength, you notice your neck is getting really stiff, like all the time, doesn't matter what you're doing, uh, then maybe it's time to reevaluate and say like, hey, do I really have to or should I really be putting in five more minutes? Like, what's the trade-off there? Because if I can convince you that five minutes is going to take away or alleviate the neck pain and the shoulder pain, then it probably makes sense for you to do that. Um, but it's just one of those things that, again, like if it fits into your lifestyle at the moment, then make it work and capitalize on the times where you can. Um but if it doesn't, you should write that blog, though, for real, because I would be interested to see that. And I would be more likely to do that if I felt like I had an easy, moderate and a lot of time, like harder option, because sure. it's easy to say, oh, this is just a lot. I'm just not going to do it yeah, because definitely. you don't know like how to scale it back to make it shorter and better for you. So I yeah, I would be highly interested to check that out and use that as a guide. Yeah, definitely. And then I can also like shit on yoga and flexibility and stuff there too. So, um, you, know, <laughs> you know, like how I like to do. Um, but I think Priorities. That, that's, that's uh, it's good. And, and, you know, although maybe you're using uh, yoga to, you know, be flexible and, and mobilize, whatever, you're also using it as a time to check out, right? So if that is something that allows you to recover because you have less stress on in your mind, then for sure that's a trade-off. Like that's a... It's a good thing you should continue doing. Yeah, I'm a huge fan personally. I've been doing this power vinyasa class that just like destroys you in a good way. Why? It's like very, it's like hard. It's hard because it's so much more strength based. And I don't have a lot of upper body strength, which I think is like stereotypical female. Um, I, I lost so much of my upper body strength when I stopped swimming. I used to have like much stronger shoulders and core than I do now. Of course. I was really subconscious about it. I started getting like bigger, bigger kind of like upper body. Just broad shoulders. Ought to be, ought to be young. Now, <laughs> now it'd kill to be really strong that way. For sure. But I really like the power vinyasa class because I do think it's a different kind of strength, like strength feeling when I can move my body and hold my body weight with my arms and do other things. So it's, it's fun. I like it. Yeah. I'm team yoga. Yeah. Well, and bananas. Team bananas, team yoga. <laughs> team no yoga. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think that uh, I really want to touch on real quickly about something you said about how when you were younger, right, you could just and you can just do anything, right? Like mm -hmm. I'm 27 now, but there's a stark difference from when I was 18 to now, right? And yes, I've had like multiple surgeries since then. It's fine. But th there's just something to be said about me being able to roll out of bed at 4.30, get to the gym at 5, and my warm-up was squat with the bar, squat with 135, squat with 225, start working sets at 3.15. Like, I physically cannot do that anymore. Uh, if if I'm like, I got to hit 225 today, it's an automatic 15-minute warm-up. Like, <laughs> I cannot do it. Um, <laughs> and, and I think some of it's mental, uh, but it's definitely just that I – 
like you're just not as durable as you were when you were 18 and you were like able to get wasted and show up to the gym hungover and still PR somehow and then just do that over and over again. Um, but, you know, something that I, I have some college students that I train now and I'm like, hey, if you just just warm up, just check in and how did you sleep? How are you feeling? Like That's going to pay its dividends down the road because you're going to be able to do this longer without pain. Uh, you're going to your gains are going to be better and we're going to have like a, a slow and controlled increase as opposed to you just blowing up, hitting PRs all the time, but then plateauing for six months and then also getting hurt. Um, so, yeah, if there's like one thing I could tell myself uh, when I was younger, it would be that <laughs> stop spending your money on branched amino acids and then also <laughs> do your warm ups because they're going to save you in the long run. I think that's good advice. Yeah. All you youngins out there, do your warm-ups. Otherwise, you'll get old real quick. Um, but I think that that was a – I mean, there, there's so much that we can talk about pre-post-intra-nutrition, pre-post-training, uh, like warming up, cool-downs. Um, that you could, you could literally spend an hour talking about each – for sure zone or phase or whatever um but i think that this is like a good guide and there's a lot of things that you can dive deep into um so i hope for the people listening that you know you got something out of it uh and the main thing is that like you have to do things that are you have to weigh out what's important what you're able to do based on the life you're living based on the time that you have um and you know take these as guidelines and not fact Exactly. And I think uh, if you have questions, I feel like we threw a lot of information out there at you. Please, please, please reach out and DM us. Um, That's probably the easiest way to reach me anyway. And like, let us know if you have questions and we can help like decipher, translate. I also know I have a really bad habit of using jargony terms. So thank you for catching me and defining like catabolic (laughs) and shit like that, because I have a bad habit of speaking nutrition nerd. It's okay. I said parasympathetic and sympathetic and I was like, you can Google it. It's cool. Um, But yeah, I I definitely um, published that blog here within the next like week. Um, And same like DMing me is going to be so much easier. Um, And if you have my number, text me. And if you don't, sucks for you. but uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot we can argue with as well. Like anything that oh, yeah. like was said on here, like please challenge it. I would love to hear um, your thoughts and and kind of why you think the way you do, uh, or if I, you know, upset you in some way because foam rolling has saved your life or whatever. Uh, definitely, <laughs> definitely reach out because uh, I'd like to hear that. For sure. Um. So for those who. Uh, don't know. And I guess we'll put it in the description, wherever, uh, where can you be found? I'm at Brooke West underscore RDN and Instagram is definitely going to be the best way to get in touch with me the quickest. What's right, you, Nicole? Instagram is Nicoco underscore RDN. I feel like I need to get my uh, RDN just so I could have an underscore rdn because i feel so left out of the group uh we can make you a parody account at <laughs> rowboat underscore rdn just is my finsta yeah for sure just steak <laughs> is all you need um 
Yeah, and then mine uh, Instagram is definitely easiest, and it's just Rogelio Realzola. <laughs> so if you can spell my name, uh, you can find my my handle. Um, but I think that this is a this is a pretty long hour and a half. Um, but it was a good one. A lot oh, wow. of information thrown for sure. Nice. You gonna sign us off or? Oh yeah, I'll sign us off. I'm just over here enjoying my marg. Please don't mind me. But that does conclude episode two of the Health Unfiltered podcast. And let us know if you have questions. We'd love to hear from you. And we'll also answer questions from the audience if you DM us. Um, We will give you a shout out and answer those questions as best to our abilities on the podcast. So reach out and thank you so much for listening. Thanks for listening, y'all. Bye. Please.